I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, repentant sinner, and along with Amory Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson, Without Works. This week we're going to try and look on a bright side, as we are very underneath a heavy and oppressive situation in the world today. So we are trying to bring some joy. Uh, in this episode, we're going to bestow sainthood on a worthy recipient, and we're going to start a new segment educating our audience and me on Bible stories that you may hear referenced but aren't familiar with. Tonight, we will declare a living person in a state of bliss, Jose Andres. Jose Andres, born Jose Ramon Andres Puerta. Puerta, I Puerta, like that. Uh, in Spain in 1969, uh, is a chef, a celebrity chef, mm -hmm. and good Samaritan. I guess <laughs> we'll call him that. He is, his culinary career includes one of the best restaurants that's ever been in the world, a restaurant in Spain called El Bulli, uh -huh. which he was fired from <laughs> okay. in 1990, at which point he came to the United States and basically gave us tapas. Wow. He is the reason that we have small plates in this country. So if you don't like small plates, you can blame Jose Andres. But wait, before you blame him, uh -huh. in 2010... After uh, severe earthquakes in the Bahamas, he started a foundation, uh, NGO, what is it, non-governmental organization, a, uh -huh. a non-profit organization called World Central Kitchen. And since 2010, he has been basically all over the world after natural disasters or economic crises hit, feeding people. Currently, he has shuttered his restaurants in the wake of the coronavirus and has opening uh, has opened community kitchens in New York City, in the Bronx, uh, in Washington, D.C., and starting on Monday next, he'll be in Los Angeles. And he is thus able to continue to pay restaurant staff and to make sure that people who are without food are not without food. Wow. Let me give you a little history. If you look at the latest news on the WCK.org website, in Puerto Rico, they were the largest gathering after the Hurricane Maria like they were the largest force. They were uh -huh. the people out there and they've served over 300,000 meals in Puerto Rico. They're still there today because uh -huh. the American government is not doing what the American government needs to do. They also set up feeding stations in Australia to feed the firefighters and the people displaced from the fires. <clears throat> they set up kitchens along the U.S.-Mexico border, both in Tijuana and in Matamoros, where... Our government has left stranded thousands and thousands of people seeking asylum. Okay. They served meals in Yokohama, J Japan, uh, outside of the Diamond Princess uh, after the coronavirus quarantine there, as well as the Grand Princess uh, in San Francisco that was docked here 
uh, when Trump wouldn't let people off because it would screw our coronavirus numbers up, which it's a little bit of a horse having left the barn right. arguments. And now they're distributing meals in the Bronx and in Queens. And like I said, they're starting uh, some pop-ups in L.A. on Monday. And my sense is that they're going to be many more places. Um, he looks at each location and each disaster and finds a different way to deal with them. So in a case like we're undergoing now, where you can't have more than 10 people in a space and you need to keep people separated apart, you can't just have like 200 people in a line making sandwiches and handing them out. Right. That's not going to work. What he is doing is enlisting small businesses, independent restaurants as locations where you can set up small groups of people, three to four people, at safe distances in their state workstations to make meals and then set up uh, six feet distance away locations outside of the place to pick up food. So it thereby uh, both feeding people and keeping them safe from uh, both giving and getting mm -hmm. this disease. So that is what he's doing. It also will allow those employees of those restaurants to have a place to go and possibly get f paid, probably get paid. Like I said, he's a NGO, so he does get grants and things like that. And you can donate to the uh, World Central Kitchen at uh, WCK.org. Uh, he is a person who is a chef because food is important and he doesn't lose like El Bouilly the place that he worked at mm -hmm. this very famous restaurant is sort of the epitome of food physics right they did a lot of modern cuisine food that doesn't really look like food molecular, molecular. Oh, let me try that again Molecular cuisine. Yeah, molecular I, gastronomy. Yes. Gastronomy, yes. Uh, so that is where he comes from. So he has those skills, but he can also make 300,000 hearty meals for people who don't have any power on an island over the course of four years and wow. does do that, is doing that. Uh, and he's doing, he's done it, He he's everywhere. Like wherever there is, when there was the furlough in Washington, D.C., he set up pop-ups for the interns and the people on the Hill who couldn't afford to pay rent and buy food because they were not right. being paid by the government. Uh, because we understand, and he understands, that everybody needs to eat. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. People have to eat. Yeah. So he is feeding. And this people. is what he can do. And this is what he can do. And what he, yes. And, he, and he's apparently very good. I don't know if he is a logistical genius or if he's hired logistical geniuses. Mm -hmm. My guess is both. I think right. he's probably very good at the planning and then has a very good staff around him. Okay. Because I think this mission draws people. Right. I think that that's right. So... Jose Andres, he's also been nominated for the Nobel Prize, yeah. which is definitely deserved. He's won national awards and things right, like the, that for this. In 2015, it was the National Humanities Medal. Mm -hmm. In 2018, the Humanitarian of the Year mm -hmm. by the James Beard Foundation. Right. And they're, they're going for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes, and now he's up for the Nobel and Peace Prize. And what's interesting, in, aside that, or something I'll add, uh, is a citation from um, the Catholic Exchange, 
that he said, um, my faith has had a lot to do with my life. I was raised in a Catholic family. Mm -hmm. I was helping and feeding people. As a little boy going to religious classes, I thought Jesus was so cool. He could do so. He could do so much, like make breakfast for fishermen. Jesus mm-hmm. cooked it himself, and we actually do. Yeah. In the gospel, see Jesus cooking food for people. Right. So the well, idea. Well, also that, just conjuring it. Well, not conjuring. <laughs> we won't use that word, but yes, at times. Uh, Didn't he conjure loaves and fishes? Is well, that not the right word? Conjure is the inappropriate term for mm. it. <laughs> On top of that, also one of his post-resurrection appearances, he literally invites people to shore and eats fish, uh, eats fish that he's cooked. So real them. pescatarian. Right. So um, I, I find that interesting. Jesus was cool. A lot he... of good religious stories start that way. <laughs> uh, Jose Andres also uh, stands up for what he believes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had originally, uh, he had signed a lease with the Trump International Hotel in Washington D.C. in 2016. Uh-huh. Or he, he had signed the lease in 2015, and then Donald Trump, at his uh, opening foray into politics, uh-huh. made a lot of disparaging remarks about Mexicans, if you'll recall. And immediately, Andres basically broke the contract, and then they had they were in court for two years, and they've settled since then. But he continues to speak out against Trump. So he, right. you know, is a business person, but he's also not going to get into bed with people who are you know, heinous. Well, yes. At least publicly heinous, we don't know. Uh, but, yeah, he's got 14 restaurants right now, I think. Mm. I think all of them right now are closed uh, in the wake of this pandemic, but most of them are making food for people. Uh, in Puerto Rico, there are two two restaurants and or four restaurants and two food trucks, and they've been feeding, you know, 50,000 people. Right. So he is able to do a lot with a little, but more would always help. So if you can, donate. Now it's uh, the World Central Kitchen is his World Central Kitchen yes. is the organization. It's WCK.org. Okay. And there are ways to donate once monthly, or uh, you could do a fundraiser. Although right now, it's probably not a great time for a fundraiser. Right. <laughs> so... Uh, come back to that in a few months when we've weathered this. However, that's going to happen. So that is Jose Andres. I really thought I was going to cry when I was talking about him. I'm. You held back. I could see really... it. I, I could see it. <laughs> what he's doing is so important. He's not doing it to get praise uh-huh. or you know accolades. He's doing it because people need to eat, and he understands that, and he loves people and he loves feeding people does he have a signature dish i don't know i, I have never been lucky enough to eat no i'm food, just wondering so if he is known for something just i mean he brought tapas to the united right, states and i i as a person who loves them john lovett mad about it <laughs> <laughs> but yes it sounds wonderful i'm, I'm glad for yes it. so we are grateful for him and we canonize him yes pew 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 I'm not sure that's the. I would. I would like to know the 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 Pope, when he actually canonizes people, makes a pew pew noise. I get, <laughs> this one does. I'm sure this one this does. This one yes. definitely does. Maybe you weren't really paying attention that Sunday morning. Maybe you've been watching creature features on Saturday night and slept in the next morning. Maybe church wasn't a part of your upbringing at all. It's me. <laughs> There are Bible stories that you may have heard reference, but you don't know the details of. Now, we'll do a little catching up. 
a story, teacher. Um, I'm going to be real annoying. So, <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm your inner monologue. Right. It's nice to meet you. I'm excited to go on this journey together. I um, Just now, you said you referenced Jose Andres as a good Samaritan. Yes. There are people who will say that without knowing what it means. That's true. Or you're looking at an article in Jezebel and you're thinking, who's Jezebel? Well, she's a Bible character, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of people or a lot of stories that we hear referenced all the time and we don't know what they actually are. Right. So this segment intends to... We understand gist. Yes. We don't understand... Particulars. Yes. Okay, so today I thought it would be interesting because uh, to explain the story of Daniel in the lion's den. First of all, do you know anything about the story of Daniel? I know nothing. Okay, all right, so... I literally know nothing. Is it in the Old Testament? It's in the Old Testament. Most of the stories are in the Old Testament. Yes, uh, most of the what's in the New Testament are the stories of Jesus and then later the apostles, and it's very brief, and then there's a lot of letters being written to new churches. Now, when you say lion's den, I wonder, is it a thing with the Romans, or is it an actual den of lions? It's a den of actual lions. But lions don't live in dens. Um, no, they, they don't. don't have libraries. No, no, they don't. <laughs> they live in a den called a growlery where they growl. But it's on the savanna. Yes. Well, they don't the, live in okay. in caves. So to start the story, let's okay. explain who Daniel is. <laughs> oh no, everyone! I've gotten <laughs> off to a very bad start. <laughs> well, we've explained how this generally works. The two of us, our dynamic, is that I will study for days, sometimes. And I will memorize on a particular point uh, the Sabellianisms and the uh, Docetists and the Arian heresies. And then Amity will ask a ridiculously simple question yep. that I had not thought of. And completely, Why water, though? Right. <laughs> yes. In so, Aikido, this is called unbalancing your opponent. And she's very good at it because I never see a question It's coming. legitimately unintentional. I'm not right. trying to mess them up. They are the questions that come into my head, and right. so I ask them. However, so here we go. Yes. So the book of Daniel, it's also called the Prophecy of Daniel, is a book in the Old Testament. It's the third section of the Jewish canon, and it's placed in the prophets in the Christian canon. The first half of the book, the first six chapters, uh, contain stories in the third person about Daniel and his friends being taken away to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar II. So they've been enslaved? They've been, well, they've been taken away. So okay. to explain what that means, um, the first chapter of Daniel says it uh, this way. All right. Um, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of the Lord, which he carried away into the land of Shinar and the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So, I'm sorry, I didn't understand any of all that. All right, so let's start. Let's start again. So who's the king? King Jehoiakim was king of Judah. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon. He was okay. a great king. So they're next-door neighbors. No, they're from a well, distance away. that's fine. They're, they're neighbors. Mm -hmm. They're world neighbors. They're two right. kings. right. Okay, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes over to Judah, Judah. Mm -hmm. and scoops everything. 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 Rude. Now, Nebuchadnezzar goes to his master of eunuchs, which is a very important title. I mean, you had to compensate, uh, and he said that he should bring the children of Israel, all the princes, all of the educated, all of the well-informed, back with him to Babylon. 
And, it's uh, a brain drain. Yeah, so the way that he d- describes it is children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge, understanding science, as much as had the ability to stand in the king's palace. But stolen. Right. They are taken away captive to Babylon. To so that they do can, what? Well, so that... And this happens in every well-formed, well-thought-of empire. How do you make Babylon great? You take the best and brightest of every country that you visited take them back, teach them, the, the in this case, the Chaldean language, and then Babylon will benefit from the knowledge of all of these immigrants. Brain drain. But you don't cap, keep them captive. Well, you keep them there, but you keep them at the king's uh, pleasure, which is sort of like being captive, only you're eating the food from the royal table, you're educated in the best, uh, in the best schools, you're given the best clothes, so you're treated very well, but you are there. But if you step out of line, we will murder you. Oh, yes. Awesome. Slaves. A long time ago, this was considered a great favor as opposed House to slaves, just being slaughtered. But slaves nonetheless. Right. I mean, this is, I mean, mm. no. Not, it's not a good Amer- analogy to American slavery, I understand, because no. our slavery was way more brutal than most pre-our yes. slavery slavery. This is kind of yeah. the history of slavery. And then we had to ratchet it. We had to ratchet it up quite a bit. Right. Um, no. So, yeah, I don't want I, I take that back. But they are enslaved for yes, all intents and purposes. Are. They are there against their will, and they cannot leave. Their names are changed. Oh, fun. Also that. So uh-huh. almost like what we did to the natives. Yes. So Daniel becomes Belteshazzar, and his friends become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, names that you might be familiar with, or not. Nope. So (laughs) I do know the name Shadrach, actually. So the... the, the, I don't know why. The stories that we get in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are stories that, remember, sort of Jewish people have been taken captive, their culture has been sort of robbed and displaced, and so there were more than just the best and the brightest, there were others taken too that were living in Babylon. So these are the stories of these very um, very wise and very humble Jewish boys who retain their Jewishness despite being surrounded by all the king's uh, various kind of seductions that he had. He was offering them meat from his table and wine from mm. his table and, and the best clothes and the best of his culture, but instead they were very stubbornly remained separate from that culture. So whether or not, are there, these, these are historical people, mm-hmm. they're phrased almost like folk tales. Right. Yeah, there are, is there's a babe with a blue ox situation. Well, yeah. not quite that strange, but, but well, maybe. Well, I don't maybe. Know. I'm going to so, say maybe. So uh, often when you hear the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it starts with things like, I mean, as simple as, we're going to refuse to eat the food from the king's table. We're going to eat our vegetables, literally, our vegetables, lentils and vegetables, and we're going to be just as healthy as uh, those who are eating from the king's table. And so in little ways, they have little rebellions against the king and their new way of life, and the stories inevitably have the king discovering, oh, on a diet of lentils and vegetables, they are stronger and healthier than the people who've been drinking my wine and eating my pork. So it's every story in the story of Daniel sort of validates the Jewish way of life okay, and traditional Jewishness. So that's, and it's also really about keeping your identity when you're besieged by a culture that you don't understand. Right. So there's two stories that are almost the same story. One is 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and one is Daniel the lion's den, and they're almost identical. And they read the same way, that in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're so highly favored by the king that the king's counselors get very jealous, and they make a, uh, a law. Everyone has to worship this enormous idol we're setting up in a plane. Oh, and whoever Moses doesn't said don't do, do, it, do that. Right. Whoever doesn't do it gets put to death. And of course... These three young men decide we can't bow down to this idol. Go ahead and give that a miss. So the king becomes very angry because he's the king of the world at the time. And so he builds a fire, well, the estimation of the world as far as they knew. So he builds a fiery furnace. Um, It's called a fiery furnace, although it's kind of redundant because it's a furnace. Yes. But it's referred to as the fiery furnace and it's heated up to an impossible pitch and Evildoers are thrown inside. But they're not evil. No, they're not evil, but they're disobeying the king. Yeah. So what happens is that these three young men are taken to this furnace, and they're tied up with ropes, and they're, the furnace is so hot, the people who are pushing them inside die from the, the heat and the smoke. Well, that's too hot. And as these three young men are thrown inside, their ropes are burned off of them, <gasps> and suddenly, through the heat haze, Nebuchadnezzar himself sees four men in the furnace because the angel of the Lord is protected these three boys. So, uh, then, but meanwhile, let the let their handlers just get <laughs> well, and toasted. So that inevitably, seems... what happens in these stories is that you know, uh, let's see, just a second. I just want to make sure I quote it right. And Nebuchadnezzar comes near the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declares, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here." And then they come there. And then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their that cloaks were not harmed. Dangerous to the king, man. And no smell of fire was on them. So he blesses them and he... Um, <laughs> I don't think they need his blessing. Right? I think they're all set. <laughs> and therefore I make a decree, any nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. <laughs> I love it. I've, I've seen the gods, so y'all right. can worship this one because he's real, y'all. That's basically <laughs> the way the stories go. There's two stories Ooh. and they're pretty much the same. You know what I hear, though? Uh-huh. An argument against faith. How do you mean? I mean, the only reason that they were okay politically was because this dude's, like, the thing that... He doesn't believe until he sees a thing, and then right. he believes. That's the opposite well, of faith. Well, remember also, he was the god of Babylon, where there were many, many, many gods. I don't and know anything about to, Babylon. Yes, many gods, and they all had to be honored in all sorts of rituals and rites that were part of his daily life. Um, so the idea of an actual god who shows up and does something was sort of startling wow, wow. to him. It's like, oh, you know, this is not the god so we worship just in this case. this was a thing where we could add to the pantheon because right. the pantheon was already giant. So now, go in this case, say, he also, in, in uh, what we know of uh, religion at the time, their religion, there was a lot of appeasing different gods and spirits so they wouldn't harm you. Ah, uh, okay. Or curry their favor. So, when so you have he's a, like, ooh. Yes. So now he's like, no, yeah, don't talk against him because he shows up and he does things. Yeah, yeah, As opposed yeah. to, you know, our gods who basically sit and, and demand more sacrifices. Um, the story is very much layered like a folk story uh, because uh, there's like a repetition that happens at the beginning and end of the story. 
he makes a declaration, then he gets repents of his declaration, then he does another declaration saying, everyone has to respect this God, because if not, you know, he's fireproof and he'll save his people, so we want to curry favor with him. So that's not the story we're here to talk about, though. No, but what we hear is when the story happens to Daniel in the same book, okay. and it's just the same story. People become jealous of Daniel because uh, he's a king's favorite. And this is a different king. This is now many years later. Okay, where is Babylon? Babylon is uh, Iran. Okay. Okay, I, I think is... I'm trying the to Persian think of the Persian Gulf. Right. Okay. And so, unfortunately... The Middle East. It was one of the great wonders of the world. It literally is... They were hanging gardens hanging there. Hanging gardens. They were beautiful gates. That, unlike what we see in Egypt when we see the ruins, we can't get the picture of what Babylon was like no. to the ancient people. There were colored glazed tiles laid along the gates of Babylon. Mm. Um, the gates themselves were so huge that you could drive a car along the top. It was just, it was an amazing Well, you place. couldn't because they didn't have those then. Them, but... <laughs> then you're also a god. Right. The, well, you're a time traveler, maybe. I don't know. But the idea is that uh, it was a beautiful, overwhelming place and it was very easy for people to fall into step there. So the story of these these young men who say... say set themselves apart, uh-huh. was really important to Jewish people learning how to live uh-huh. in these places. So the same story gets repeated later on, and this is Darius now, the king of the Persians, uh, the Medes and the Persians, I think. And it has the same sort of beginning. Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. I love that word. What is a satrap? As a kid, it's an administrator. There were a hundred of... Bureaucrat? Right. There's a okay. hundred and twenty of them under, under King Darius. And they are administrators to all parts of the kingdom, even the far-flung parts. Because oh, they're like, like senators? Yes, sort or of? governors. Governors, was okay. an empire. Um, so so he's, got, he's pretty powerful for a person who has been enslaved and has made his displeasure right. about that because sort of Daniel, known. And, and again, the, the, the odd also, part... Also, what is he being called now? He himself is... Um, uh, well, he's counted among the administrators and satraps. To Nebuchadnezzar, he was like a personal uh, counselor. But his name was his... Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar. But it, it never mentions him under that name again. It well, just calls no, him Well, no, because... Yeah, no, I understand. But I, I, right. I, I want to understand the context he's living in. Right. They're right. not calling him Daniel. So he was taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar lived a, a life, and then he passed on, and then various people, his son was... Um, took over the kingdom, but his son was not a very good ruler. Mm. His father gained an empire. His son lost it very quickly. Whoops. And then uh, the Daniel, though, was absorbed by the new kingdom because he was considered to be such a resource. He could interpret dreams. He could uh, he did miraculous things. So that was that was, and it's it's a callback to an earlier story, Joseph, which we'll have to mention in the same. Uh, segment at some point in the future, the one with the amazing Technicolor dream. Oh coat. yes, I've heard of this. I've heard of it. Right, was it's also fine. a person who interpreted dreams for a foreign leader and saved their kingdom. So Daniel is sort of like that. He has dreams, he has visions, and the later part of the book is just his prophecies about the end of, uh, well, the end of his times. Anyhow, but that's a whole other thing. So in this case, Daniel once again, like these three young men. His friends distinguished himself by just being very virtuous and being very good and very honest, mm-hmm. and that made all the other satraps and leaders and governors very mad, jealous. 
So they could find no corruption in him, it says, and he was trustworthy and he was not he was negligent, he was very good, so they have to find a basis for charging him. So what they do just is just because they are mm-hmm. uh, like um ladder climbing? Ladder climbing and also he won't play a part in their corruption. Oh yeah, no. They're corrupt politicians. We're trying to be bad and, here and you're right, like too good. Get you're out. sticking out and you're not playing ball with us and you know we, we have this huge empire and you're just sort of you know you're you're also advising the king and you're too good to be true because you're honest so um they say to themselves we will never find any basis for charges against daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his god so what they do is they approach king darius and they say may king darius live forever i love the sucking up that happens <laughs> This that bill is happening very authentic today. It's real upsetting. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict uh, that anyone who prays to any god or human being for the next thirty days, except to you, your Majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Gross. Right. So and they just had a lion's den. <laughs> he had a lion's den for traitors and criminals. And okay, was, so he just this is like a shark pit. Like yes. he just had a pit in his. Dungeon or whatever. So this not only is the it. beginning of the idea of a lion's den, this is possibly the world's first James Bond villain right. kind of lair. That's what <laughs> like it feels I like. Okay. Because I was like, what is a lion? They live on the savannah. There's mm-hmm. no... No, these were hungry okay. lions that were gotcha. kept there for this specific purpose. They're of... being tortured. They're uh-huh. there to torture. It's a whole thing. Yeah, I it's gotcha. a whole thing. And remember, this is something that was apparently... We know that King Philip of Macedon, who was the, the father of Alexander the Great, mm. had a lion's den, Y'all. according to stories, and that he kept... House Alex- cats are great. <laughs> lions are not for this. And according to some stories, he put Alexander in it as a boy. He put him in a cage in the lion's den so that Alexander would learn not to be afraid. Well, that's not... <laughs> I, I imagine that would be terrifying, being in a cage of hungry lions. Even if you're in a defensive cage yourself, very much like a shark cage, I imagine. Yeah, I, but people do that on purpose. They don't. Right. It, that's torture if you do it to somebody who doesn't want to do right. it. That's, <laughs> we, I, I don't know. Anyhow, so terrible. this is part of the ancient world. Very strange things used to happen. Of course, I can say that about now, too. I give it two thumbs down. So Darius makes this ruling, which he himself, according to the rules of the Medes and the Persians, they cannot contravene their own law. Contravene, is that the word I want? Sure. All right. So anyhow, they cannot change their own law. Once he makes it, it has to be made, or it has to be kept. So when Daniel violates law by praying three times a day, like he always does, they report Daniel, and Darius is very upset because he does not want to get rid of Daniel because Daniel is such a good, honest counselor. However, he has to throw him in the lion's den. Y'all, he doesn't. He's the king. Right, but according this to is their the, rules, this is the this is the the bylaw of every fairy tale that drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Where a, a father is forcing their daughter to get married, I wouldn't do this, but it's the law of the land. You're the king, mm-hmm. so you can change the law of the land. So what <gasps> the story is is when the king hears <laughs> that he has to put Daniel in the lion's den, he made, he's greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He went through every legal channel that he could, but he can't break legal. his own Legal, you're a king. Forget legal. Spirit him away. And then, <sighs> the men that went as a group to King Darius said to him, Remember, your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no edict or decree that the king issues can be changed. 
So the king gave the order, and Daniel threw him into the lion's den and said unto Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I mean, okay. You're um, making me do this the hard way, but yeah. bring it. <laughs> and the stone is placed over the mouth of the, lo- the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation could not be changed. And the king returned to the palace and spent the night without eating and without enter- any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He's just so sad. Yes, he's very he has sad. forsaken this man, even though he definitely didn't have to do that. At the first line... he's the king. <laughs> well, again... <laughs> no. It's their rules. No one's above their law, including their king, which I like as an idea. Yes, except that's... You know of that's not will, true. Of course, you know that when king it comes to lions, um, I, he, he should have made more effort. I don't know. And when it came, uh, at the first light of dawn, the king himself got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong to you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And Daniel was lifted from the den and no wound was found on him. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown to the lion's den along with their wives and children. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Y'all, that's too far. This, I hate this story. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Crushed their bones. Crushed it says that. Bones. I'm quoting exactly. Yeah, I don't like this story. And then Daniel... The story tells me the wrong Then, Then Daniel's, uh, excuse me, uh, Darius is like Nebuchadnezzar, makes a declaration. And in this case, sings a song um, <laughs> about... Because uh, <laughs> he always wanted to be right. a rock star, but no. he was he had to be a king instead. That's <laughs> <laughs> so the sad, sad life of Darius, king of the Medes and Persians. So that's the story. Mm-mm. I understand that there are several problems with this story, notably the fact that not just the evil governors, but their wives and children also get eaten by lions. Um, kings do it wrong. Why are kings so bad at being kings? Uh, because this actually was a whole different kind of world they lived in where very cruel things like this happened. No. Um, I'm the king. I'm in charge. I get to, I, I don't go to my room and be sad because I was forced to do a thing. If that's my life, mm-hmm. then I'm changing what kingship is because I'm not going to be a king and then be sad. That's not... No, we're not doing that. Okay. So no, that, no, I'm just like... This is, this be is a king and be right. sad because your people are dying or uh-huh. whatever. But if... If it's because you were thwarted by a bunch of <laughs> irritating Lion courtesans food, as it turns out. <laughs> and had to kill your friend, no, uh-huh. you're doing kinging wrong. Well, so, so that's that's your hill in this story. That's what So do, do you feel like you were informed of anything the next time you heard the phrase? Because the reason is came to mind. So what do you, how do you use the phrase then? What do you mean? Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den describes a person put into a situation, generally through no fault of their own, that is extremely dangerous. And that your faith and your faith and patience, I guess, but mostly your faith is what bears you through. You know what? He just read those lion's dreams and they were chill. Well, (sighs) he didn't talk to the lions. That would be silly. But like... I'm sorry. (laughs) God forcing their mouths closed is not silly. I don't think that... Him saying, here, kitty, kitty, and petting them is silly? Uh, There are many 
paintings that actually grew because I grew up. Nobody know. Uh, also, don't paint this because if it was sealed up and nobody saw it's what happened, completely in there, dark, right? Um, which uh, basically, to me, it would be terrifying to be in a very dark space with a group of hungry animals. Yes, no, that I is. I mean, scary. like house cats, Especially much less lions. Animals that can see in the dark because right. lions definitely so, have that capability. Right. So, I remember I had a, a, a children's Bible that had a really lovely picture, and I can't remember who painted which. You know, classical painter did it of him basically sitting amongst a group of lions kind of petting them <laughs> as if he's saying, good kitty, good kitty, good kitty. I mean, that kitty. is definitely what he did. Um, he said, I'll bring you a lamb chop tomorrow. Right. <laughs> well, the children's bones. Right. <laughs> but the, but um, so I've always been very fond of this story. To me, what it kind of was, was the idea that things that, when people are being dishonest or trying to harm you, that yeah. often they get caught in the right. trap that they're making for you. Right. Which is a lesson that, you know, currently in my life... Yes. <laughs> it, it just feels... has a great deal of meaning. But the whole reason I brought this up wasn't because of that. It was uh, the other day when you felt sick. When did I feel sick? You felt sick and you thought you had coronavirus. Oh, I did the other day. And the first thing I did was poke my head into your room... First oh, thing you in the morning, did. What did you say? And I the didn't... Lord, whom you continually serve, rescue from the mouth of the lions. Oh, gotcha. And then he's like, "What are you talking about? What are you? What are you saying?" <laughs> and then it just struck me. Oh, this would be a perfect opportunity or to, a perfect yes. idea to actually say, "Well, are you safe?" Because I always thought, to me, reading the story growing up, that was very touching. The king himself runs out and just says, "Are you? Are you still there?" Kind of terrified of what was going to happen. Of course, yeah. his actions afterwards are kind of inexcusable. I. I am not coming down on the side of this king. I, uh-huh. I have many problems with the way this yes. king has kinged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think he's doing it wrong. Like I said, if you're this concerned and you know he is good, mm-hmm. then don't do this thing. Right. You're too gullible to let these people talk you into this thing. And if you, like I said, if you don't want him to die and don't think that he should... You're a bad king right. if you just allow an innocent person to die because I said a thing. Well, because the the edicts <sighs> cannot be reversed. And that's... The Here's very... my next edict. Uh-huh. Edicts can now be reversed. <laughs> oh, what are you going to do now, though? Uh-oh. So, aside from... <laughs> like, here's the thing with that. Right. It's just like a presidential um, executive order. Uh-huh. All I have to do is write a new one to oversee or to supersede that so, previous uh, Aside one. from the, the questionable politics of ancient Babylon... So the story, though, how do you feel about Daniel? Because he's the person you're supposed to... I don't feel any way about Daniel. Uh-huh. I'm glad that he didn't die through no fault of his own. But he's also... What the story is supposed to t- tell you is that your integrity gets respected. So that's kind of what... And your integrity will see you through, basically. He, he, honestly, here's here's my my issue with that. Okay, all right. And it's an issue I have with kind of a lot of stories, biblical stories uh-huh. and things like that, is then it presumes, uh-huh. and this is used by evangelicals kind of a lot, right. that if bad stuff does befall you, oh, I guess you weren't as good as you thought you were. Right. So if the tornado hits your house and not my house, mm-hmm. then I am 
morally superior to you. That's and right. th- that is a gross reading of the story, right. but I think it allow things like this story they allow for that reading. They can allow that interpretation. Um Although that's obviously not what's not what is intended. These it's stories, not what is intended, right. but it is what is used, and it, it's what is used right. and weaponized against yes. people who have already who had terrible things happen. To, to them. which I always countered that when I was discussing it with people who had that frame of mind, saying, "Well, Jesus was tortured to death and killed." Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. And nobody's morally superior. Right. right. So I I don't understand the logic of saying that somehow we're responsible for what happened to us when the best that you know our God was tortured and killed. Yeah. And and it's possible that I have a survivor's mentality. Uh From pretty terrible things happening to me at different right. points in my life, uh, that I don't, I can't sort of let go and let God, right? right. Like that's, it has not worked. <laughs> so I am not, I'm afraid to do that. And so this is one of those stories mm-hmm. that sort of alienates me a little bit. And that's not the story's mm-hmm. fault, but I think, um, and, and, but I do think that under the current, administration and the current sort of political situation yes heads of um of the evangelical movement that trash viewing is Uh more prevalent and And so it makes me skittish a a little bit remember that also and i would advise that for people looking at this story and hoping not to you know who are worried about getting that interpretation the story starts with them being slaves and yeah. Daniel never gets to go back home. Right. Neither do these other three people. Right. They wind up being slaves in an alien culture. Right. Right. And preserving themselves. So he's just better off, but he's right. still a sl- he's, still he's still an enslaved slave. person. Right. Yeah. And so he lives the rest of his life never seeing his homeland again. And it doesn't matter that he's honored or that he's uh, seen as a great leader amongst these other yeah. foreign people. I, yeah. He and still also is. the weakness of that leader just bumps right. me out. And a I bit. think like that, I want people to stand up for what's right, right and not just be like, the rules are the rules. Like, right. I don't like that mentality and either. In these so. stories, the story of Esther, there's a lot of that kind of, and I don't know if it's again showing the superiority of the Jewish way of life as opposed to the Babylonians, where the Babylonians come across looking kind of. Uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it, in the stories that get told of the captivity, they're not necessarily wishy-washy, but they're sort of self-absorbed and pompous. Right. And they make but they're decisions. also the villains of the story, right? right. Because the people the who are writing story. it are the people... But at the same time, they're given a lot more credence. The Philistines never get to stop being the Philistines. They're always the Philistines. They're always the bad guys. The Philistines, you know. Yeah, that word I didn't know was uh, the name of a population. Right. It's only connotation now. Right. Like, that's all it yeah, is Yeah, and that's, that's one that we'll cover at another point, because that's it's another a, thing. It's an epithet. Right. It's not, yeah. You can call a person a Philistine, like, oh my God, that Philistine, well, what does that mean? So right. we'll cover that in the future. Okay. But the Philistines never get to the humanity because that uh, the Babylonians and the mm. later people get, because um, they were able to at least come to the worldview and go, oh, there's something of value to this religion and right. something of value to these practices that we don't have. So they're they're made to look a little buffoonish, but at the same time they'll come around. Whereas the Philistines just get to be the Philistines. 
But um, anyhow, so that's your Bible lesson for today. Thank you. I'm sure that in the future, every time you see a picture of an elderly man petting lions, you will think. And he was elderly at this time? Oh, yes, he was. Okay. Yeah, because he was taken away it's under Nebuchadnezzar, and this right. is like two kings, two kings after kings that. Okay. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review. And also, share it with a friend. A friend you can't go visit, but can send links to. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts for our episodes can be found there. We're also reachable by email at withoutworkspod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and we're on Facebook if you search Without Works Podcast. All that information and links are available on the website as well. I've been Amity, and he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to get out there and do something good. Everybody's got a little light. Under the sun, under the sun.